Well, happy Mother's Day. We're glad you're here. We are, um, this was going to be the last week of a series that we're doing called Conversations. Um, but in fact, we're going to extend it for a couple weeks and, uh, because it was, it's so awesome. And, uh, and so we're glad you're, you're a part of it. Um, what we've been talking about in this series is that God wants to have a conversation with you. And oftentimes, we have questions that we want to ask God, and, then, and rightly so. Why does suffering happen? Why am I not six feet tall? I mean, whatever your question is, uh, God is not threatened by those questions. Um, he's not upset with you uh, about them. He's not, uh, he, he doesn't hear your question and go, well, let me tell you something, buddy. Uh, God wants to enter a conversation. And that's what this series is about. And what we've been talking about is the fact that although we have questions for God, oftentimes, a lot of times, God has questions for us. And so this series, we've been looking at some of these questions, and we've been saying, okay, let's enter in a conversation with God. Because God doesn't ask us the questions to trap us, or to trick us, or to shame us. God asks us these questions so that we can get to know Him, and that we can enter into a conversation with Him. This morning, I want to talk about a question. Actually, we're going to go over several questions that Jesus himself, if he were up here preaching, he would ask you and, uh, and want to engage in a conversation with you. This morning, we're going to be talking about anxiety. And um, the reason we're talking about anxiety on Mother's Day is because moms tend to worry more than dads do. Okay, dads usually are like, hey, you know, well, that's good. It, he, he should have gotten hit by that car. That's going to help him toughen him up. Yeah, you know, and mo- moms think in terms of that. And not, not, not exclusively. I, I know that, you know, the different, it goes different ways and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not trying to overgeneralize it. But for the most part, in my experience, moms tend to worry just an eensy beensy little bit more than, than uh, dads do. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, isn't, it, isn't it funny how you know your kids better than anybody knows your kids, right? And that you see your kids differently than everybody. I, um, uh, I coached soccer for years, and uh, I would talk to different moms or dads, and if I, if I polled the parents and I said, rank your kid according to ability to play soccer, uh, everybody would rank their kid either one, two, or three, okay? Nobody says, ah, kid can't even walk up a flight of stairs. They're the last place. Whatever, matter of fact, don't even play them. They, they, they just want the orange slices. Uh, I don't even care, right? Everybody sees their kid because you know your kid, and when your kid misses the ball completely, you're like, that's because he got pushed or whatever. I mean, we, we make these excuses. As a matter of fact, I also, not only did I coach soccer, I refed soccer, and, and this is just a little free tip that you have for Mother's Day. Just because your kid falls, it's not a foul, okay? So just keep that in the back of your mind. But moms, if they feel there's been some type of injustice, God, the men seem to argue over every call. It doesn't matter what it is. But, but, but moms seem to, if they feel like their kid is being picked on or touched wrong and pushed down or whatever, they, as a matter of fact, this happened while I was coaching, uh, refing, and the mom, I took, I had my phone with me and she got so angry. I snapped a little picture of her and uh, like right at the time. And so uh, 
this was, this was right on the field. Like I, I, I got away just in time. But, uh, but some of you moms know that, hey, you mess with my kid, that's, that's what you're going to get, right? I mean, but because we know our, our kids. And so, so for you, you know, you go to the coach and say, you know, how come you're not playing little Timmy? And the coach says, because he's scared of the ball. You know, that's why. And you, you can't run away from the ball. And as a parent, you're like, he's setting healthy boundaries. You know, it's like <laughs> you understand your kid better. Your kid lights some kitten on fire. And it's like, oh, he's into sciences and physics and biology. He's a genius. You know, it's like that's the way we see it. This was, uh, came to be a reality in my life um, just around Easter time. We were trying to finish this stage up before Easter. And so we uh, were working a lot in here, and uh, I was painting that back wall when I got a phone call that I didn't recognize who it was, and so I had my Bluetooth on. I thought, I'll just take the call while I'm, while I'm painting that back wall. And so uh, I, got the, I got the phone call, and it was the vice principal of my son's high school, and he said I could share this story. Um, and um, she said, your son's getting suspended. And, um, and so here's, here's the thing. So, so as a dad, as someone who knows my son, the first thing I thought was, that's weird. Because like, uh, you know, he doesn't really do that bad of stuff to get suspended, you know. And then, this is, seriously, this crossed my mind. I'm like, well, I've gotten suspended before, so what's really the big deal, okay? Now, hold on, hold on. Just, just simmer down, okay? So I said, oh, well, what happened? And the, and the, and the, the, oh, by the way, oh no, uh, anyway, so I I said, what happened? And, and she said, he took apart the library computer. Okay. Hey, okay. So, so here's, again, here's my thing. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking, well, he was probably fixing it. Okay. And you guys are like, no, he took it apart. You know, throw the book at him. So I'm thinking, because in our house, we take apart computers all the time, okay? And so it's like, to me, it was like, oh, maybe there was something wrong with it, and he took it apart and fixed it, whatever. And she, so she keeps going. And she says, he took out the RAM out of the computer. And again, you guys are like criminal, okay? <laughs> Lock him up, okay? And he's here. And so he, he's, he's, he's cool with that, Okay? Like, don't ever let him out of your sight. Don't let him over to my house. Guard your computers, all this kind of stuff. I was thinking, oh, maybe, the, maybe he just was reseeding the RAM, okay? Because you, you got eight gigs and only four show up. You take them out, reseed them, and maybe, boom, you fire it up. And she, I didn't say this to her, okay? But I was, that's what was going on in my mind. And so she said, he took out the RAM chips, and those are very expensive. And then I'm like, I got a whole drawer full of them. I, I'll give you 50 of them if you want. I mean, I don't, who really cares? But see, here's the thing. While you think criminal and hoodlum, and you're sitting there going, if a man can't even take care of his own household, how does he take care of the church, okay? <laughs> While you're thinking that in love, okay, <laughs> I know my own kid, and so I'm, in my brain, I'm going through. Now, I didn't tell, I didn't say any of this to the, I was just like, this is a, this is a travesty. I'm so sorry, I, you know. Uh, and when he got home, he got in trouble. And, um, oh, and here's the other thing that happened, which is really cool. And this is why you're, you're really happy if you're not a pastor's kid. Um, so it was like, like the whole thing was like, it was no big deal. You know, I put it back together again and it worked and everything was fine. And, and so I said, did you look around before you opened it up? And he said, 
Yes. <laughs> okay, right? He knew, it was, he knew it was wrong. So get off him. It, he, it's over now and everything's fine. But, but here's the, my point is this. Don't you, aren't you the same way with your kids or your nephew or your grandkids or whatever? When, it's, when you know the story, you have more grace. And here's the thing. We know their story. I know his story. I know that we've taken apart lots of computers. I know he knows how to take out RAM and put it back in without damaging things. I know all that. And so I have all this grace, whereas she doesn't know his story. And so she doesn't have that kind of grace. We know their story. Now, here's the problem. With our own kids or our own nieces and nephews or the people we love, even, even not even relatives, our own friends, we know their story. And here's where the problem is. We want to shape their story. We, we want to provide the best environment for them. We want to make sure nothing happens. Isn't it funny how, uh, like if I were to say to you, like no pain, no gain or whatever, or I, I love the, the commercials where everybody's working out real hard with like the ropes, you know, doing that and they're jamming up the stairs and all that. And I think to myself, I need to work out more. I, I don't, but I, I just think that, right? It's really inspiring. And if you were to say, yeah, you got I mean, to really get results, you got to go after it. I'd be like, yeah, Absolutely. And if you told me a story about someone who had some failure in their life and now they went to, mis- to success, I'd tell you, oh yeah, it's probably their failure fueled their success and all these. And sometimes hardship is awesome for people to develop and grow unless it's my own kid, right? I don't want any hardship for them. I don't want them to get hurt. I don't want them to fail. I don't want them to be picked on. I, don't want, th- I want them to be picked first team, all whatever. I, you know, I, I, I want that for them. And I want to shape their story. I want them to go to the best college. I want them to have the best job. I want them to be the most popular. I want them to be homecoming queen, king, insert, whatever. That's what I want for them. I want to shape their story. Well, here's the thing. It takes a lot of effort to try to shape someone else's story. And this is where anxiety comes in is that when you have someone you love, whether it's your kid or your husband or wife or whatever, and you are are working real hard to make something happen, you get flooded with anxiety. Isn't it true? Now, here's the thing about your heavenly father. He wants you to be free from that. Now, you say, well, what does that mean? Do I just like not care if they go to college or all that kind of? No, we're going to talk about this in a little bit. But I just want you to know from, the, from just right here, Mother's Day, moms, <laughs> your heavenly father wants you to be free from that. From that feeling of, I'm not good and I should do this. And you, know, you hear a story about some other mom who makes pancakes look like Mickey Mouse every morning for the kid. And you're just like, I, I barely pour in cream of wheat or whatever. I mean, I don't even cook it. It's just there, the powder. Just go ahead and eat that. I'm busy, you know, whatever. All that feeling. The Lord wants you to be free. He wants you to be free. As a matter of fact, Jesus, and this is uh, the text we're going to be looking at this morning is in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus um, brought this up. Uh, Jesus had this sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. It was like on a mountain and he's basically talking and people were, a whole bunch of people were there and 
Uh, he starts out with the Beatitudes, which is a very famous section of Scripture that basically sets up the parameters of the kingdom of God. Like, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are you when people insult you. Um, uh, blessed are the peacemakers. Okay, so he's got all these, these blesseds, these um, Beatitudes, we call them. And so he sets all this up, and then he begins to just teach in this incredible, just turning their the way they view the world upside down. It was like opposite day for them. Like these are the things you, you know, this is where your focus should be, not here. And, and, and so this is where he sums it up in Matthew chapter six. And I've, I've preached on this particular section of scripture probably four or five times uh, since I've been the pastor here for nine and a half years. But, um, but he, because it's so pertinent it's so important, and it's something I'll continue to preach on because we have to keep coming back and back and back to it. Because Jesus has this word for you this morning. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you're like me, but when I hear something like like if you were to say that to me, I'd be like, Oh, thanks. You're so wise and understanding. Thank, you know, right? But, and, and so it's easy to dismiss because it's easy to turn around and say, that's easy for you to say. But it's Jesus who says it to you. Do not worry about your life. Now, if you're like me, you'll push back and say, well, Jesus doesn't know my boss, okay? Or Jesus doesn't know my spouse. Or Jesus doesn't uh, have access to my finances. Yes, he, he does. He does. Now, uh, like I said, I've, I've, I've preached this little section of scripture four or five times, and uh, I stole one of my points from another sermon, uh, which really cuts down on sermon prep time. Um, but, but, but here's the thing, because what, what ends up happening, the reason we feel so much anxiety, I believe, is it's the need to control. It's we want to control our career. We want to control our kids. We want to make sure this happens. We want to make sure this happens. We want to control um, our finances. We want to control our neighbors. We want to control all these types of things. And, and here's the point I, I had made uh, 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 several months ago. You are not, never have been, and never will be in control. <laughs> you are not, never have been, and never will be in control. Now, some of you might say, well, actually, uh, my career is doing fantastic. I've got tons of money in the bank, and quite frankly, I, I, I am in control. You are not. You never have been, and you never will be in control. As a matter of fact, it is not even your job to be in control. It's your job to be faithful with what God has given you, okay? And so Jesus starts out with this thing. He says, uh, uh, do not worry about your life. Now he goes on because the list of things that Jesus could add after that um, for Americans, for us, it would be, you know, don't worry about the upcoming election. Don't worry about ISIS. Don't worry about uh, whatever the, I don't know, are we on measles or mumps or Ebola? I can't, I can't keep track of which disease I'm supposed to worry about. But, but don't, you know, we, we could insert all those things. And, and this is what I'm so thankful that Jesus did. He inserted some things. And there's stuff I never worry about. Like, very rarely do I worry about the things Jesus is saying. And part of me wishes he'd pick some of my stuff, because then I could feel like, well, okay, good. He, he picks stuff that's way down on the list. He says this, 
Uh, do not uh, worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Right? Now, now, some of you woke up this morning worried about what you were going to wear. That's not what he's talking about. He's actually talking about having clothes, okay? And he says, don't, don't worry about that stuff. Don't worry about what you'll eat or drink. Now, these are basic, basic necessities. If I was going to worry about something, or you were to say, John, give me a list of things I can worry about. I'd say, well, if I had to give you a list, probably make sure you get a meal and that you wear some clothes, please, and, uh, you know, that you don't die of thirst, okay? So, yeah, just worry about those. Everything else, don't worry about it. Jesus says, don't even worry about those things. Don't even think about those things. And, it, and he says this, and I, I love this saying, and I want to leave you with this saying this morning because I, I hope that you'll use it. He says, is not life more than, right? Now, he adds a word after this, and we're going to look at that in a second. But I want you to think about what you worry about right now. I'm sure in a group our size, lots of you are worrying about something, okay? Think about that. Is not life more than that thing you're worried about? You say, well, well, I'm worried about my finances, okay? And if you saw my finances, you'd be worried about them too, okay? But here's what Jesus would ask. And this is what I'm asking you to say when you, this begins to rile up in you. Isn't life more than my finances? Now, you might be worried about something really, really important like your kids, okay? Jesus would ask you this. Isn't life more than your kids? And you'd go, well, no. Of course not. Those are my, those are my little babies. Those are my little, you know, I, I, I love them. But Jesus wants to get deeper than that. Jesus isn't saying disregard your kids, be apathetic about your kids. Who really cares? Uh, uh, Gary Helmer is a good friend of mine. He's been a part of this church for a long time. Many, many of you know him. Uh, He has this great saying that faith looks a lot like apathy, (laughs) you know, because when you, when you have this faith, you, you, there's a sense of it's going to be okay. And but worry feels like we're doing something, doesn't it? Like when you're worrying about something, doesn't it feel like you're accomplishing something? Jesus would say, no, it's the exact opposite. And then you insert, isn't life more than, insert the blank, more than your career? Yeah, it is worth more than my career. Isn't it worth more than you striving for certain things? Isn't it more than material possessions? This is the thing God wants you to ask yourself as you go through it. But here's what he, here's what he uses. He says, is not life more than food? <laughs> well, not really. I mean, we kind of need food, right? I mean, right? Jesus is interesting because he talked about things. He, one time, um, everybody was getting kind of hungry, and Jesus um, said, um, uh, uh, they, they said to Jesus, hey, do you, do you want me to get something to eat? And Jesus says this, an unbelievable statement. He says, I have food you don't even know about, right? Which you'd think, oh, he's hiding it in his robe somewhere, right? But he, but he goes on. He says, my food is to do the will of my heavenly father. See, Jesus wants us to get to a whole different level of releasing anxiety. It's not that eating isn't important. Of course it's important. That isn't the point Jesus is making. 
It's not like he's saying, just sit on the couch like this and then, you know, birds will come and put food in your mouth or whatever. He's not, he's not saying that. He's not saying, oh, and don't, whatever you do, don't try at work. Because that doesn't, that's stupid, you know. He's, he's not. He's just saying, don't worry about those things. Don't waste that energy. Now, he goes on and he says this. Look at the birds of the air. And, 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 and I think he, I've said this before, like I said, as I've preached this before. I like to believe that Jesus, right at that moment, had a flock of birds fly over his head. As just kind of a, not, well, over Peter's head, not over his head. Uh, but I, I, I just picture God, just Jesus, just like as, a, as an example, as like a little stage prop. He said, look at the birds of the air. And all of a sudden, caw, caw, you know, like, they're right there because I just told them to come by. You know, it's like, that, that's the thing. But he chooses birds because they're everywhere. You can, you can observe them. Uh, um, so, I read this this week, and uh, I, I take the text early in the week, and I just kind of read over it, read over it, read over it. And then I try to apply it just off the top of my head. I just try to do what it says, and just so that when I preach, I can go, here's where that didn't work for me, or like I wasn't very good at this or whatever. So I decided to take this to heart, and I started looking at the birds of the air. And, and so we have, uh, in my front yard, I have this little place uh, that I'll make a fire sometimes early in the morning and talk to God and I was watching these hummingbirds, and so I started doing that. And now, now with our beautiful patio, there's birds that actually come onto our property, which is a novelty. Um, and and so I was at a stoplight, and I'm looking up in the sky, and I see these two birds, okay, and they're mating in midair, okay. No, it, it gets better, okay. Uh, you're like, well, it could be better than that, okay. Uh, so they're mating in midair, which I didn't even know was possible, okay. And, and it was funny because I told my wife this story and I said, I saw these two birds having sex. And she said, birds don't have sex, they mate. And I'm like, thank you, Discovery Channel. Like, that's not the point of the story, right? Like, the point of the story wasn't to, like, identify it correctly, right? You know, I was just like, get a nest, you know? It's like, so anyway, so, so they're up, they're up there. Doing, doing what birds do in midair, I guess, you know. And, and I'm just, and again, you know, to get inside, well, you've already been inside my mind, and it is a scary, scary place. But this is the way my brain works. I, I can't help it. I'm, I'm part OCD, ADD, every other D. And, uh, and so I'm thinking to myself, wow, Jesus told me to look at the birds of the air. And, like, that's just incredible to me. And, like, Jesus made birds. So that's the first thing. Then I go, oh, it's springtime, like, like, that's what happens at springtime. That's why you get little birds, see? And so that's where my brain was going. And, and you guys are like, you can stop anytime. No, no. And then I think, isn't it awesome that Jesus uses this example with these birds? Like, these birds are doing what birds do. We've built, like, like all these, uh, um, you know, roads and all this kind of stuff. The birds don't really care, okay? Now, get this. This is an absolute true story. The birds get hit by a car. Yeah, no. I know. I, but, well, it's scary, but I mean, they're, they're a bird. I mean, it's, it's sad, but... So here's, here's the first thought that came to my mind. The Bible lied. <laughs> like, the Bible told me to look at birds and not to worry. I'm totally worried now. <laughs> like, I'm super worried. Like, if, if you love birds this much, and you can just get a, have them get hit by a car while they're whatever Discovery Channel term you want to use, that's scary to me. <laughs> 
right? And so I think, and so, so here's the thing. So I do what you're supposed to do. And Bob, if you go to Bob's um, wild ride that he was talking about on Thursday nights, he'll teach you this. You always go back to the text and read what it says. So I was nervous. Like, I'm supposed to look at birds and not worry, but I'm super worried now. What does the text actually say? And so I did what Bob will teach you if you go to uh, that group and uh, what he uh, tells, what we talk about all the time is go back to the text. And here's what it says. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Now, if you're a, a thinker, you're thinking, well, yeah, and lets them get hit by cars. But here's the point. The whole point of the scripture isn't that bad things won't happen to you. Here's the thing. God knows your story and he wants to shape your story. You don't have to shape your story. God knows your story and you will encounter trials. You will encounter problems. You will have bosses that don't treat you fairly. You will have people stab you in the back. Your kids will get hurt. All these things can, can happen. But your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Now let me ask you a question this morning. We're going to get to the question that Jesus had, the big question for this morning. But I want to ask you one before. What would your life look like if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that your heavenly Father loved you and looked out for you? What would your career look like? What would it look like? You go to work on Monday morning and you've got all the same people there that you've always had. Uh, you walk through those doors and you know, I know my heavenly father loves me and he's watching out for me. What would that look like? Well, what if you knew your heavenly father had your finances? He knows about them and he's watching out for you. That you don't have to bear that burden. As a matter of fact, Jesus said it this way. Cast all your cares upon me. Like, just put them all on me. Just bring, come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. That's the kind of heavenly father we have. Now, here's the question that Jesus asks, and I think it's a great question, and I hope you ask it and have this conversation with God this week. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Maybe put it this way. Does worrying ever work? <laughs> does it ever accomplish anything? Like, does worrying, the act of worrying, does it really help? Because it feels like it, it's accomplishing something. It feels like we're doing something because we don't, I mean, you could push back and say, well, what am I supposed to do? Just sit there and do nothing? No. You're supposed to be faithful. God is the story shaper. Your job is to be faithful with what he's given you. Now, let me ask you this. Because you could say, well, you know, actually, John, um, I do worry about my career, and I've really worked hard at my career, um, and I've, I've kind of moved my way up because I've been worried about getting fired, or I've been worried about this, and so I work really hard, and so I've kind of created this thing for myself. You could say that. I would only push back on to say, you could have done that without worrying at all. 
You could say, well I, well, I was worried about my kids. And so we really pushed. We got them a tutor. We got them a keyboard, you know, a, a piano instructor. We taught them Korean. We, I mean, whatever it is. I mean, we just, we love our, we've worked really hard. They're the smartest kids. They got 4.9s. They just, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I would push back and I'd say, you could have done all that without worrying. You could have accomplished all of that. I'd even come back and say, what would it have looked like? What would your conversations with your kids have looked like if you didn't worry or your boss or your spouse? What would the biggest events in your life look like if you weren't worried? Jesus asked this question. Does worrying even work? The answer is no. And he says, then don't do it. (laughs) It's just going to wear you out. And so you go, well, that's really nice, John. So what do I do? I just don't worry, you know, be happy like the Bobby McFerrin song. Great, I'll, I'll do that, okay? I'll, 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 I'll just sing that song all day long and I'll be okay. Uh, that's, not what he, that's not what he says. We don't, we don't conquer worry by just not worrying. That's not how it happens. Jesus gives us a really important key. He says this. He, he has this question, and can, can any of you by worrying add a single... Uh, hour to your life. And then he goes through another series of questions. He says, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Jesus reaches back 900 years to give the example of Solomon, which is an awesome example because Solomon was the wisest dude ever. He wrote Proverbs, which is just filled with awesome sayings, okay? They're just really wise sayings. You'll love it, okay? Read the book of Proverbs. You will love it. And then he wrote Ecclesiastes, which you won't like so much. Uh, Ecclesiastes is just like Proverbs for people over 50. <laughs> they're just like, they like, they like read it and they're like, ah, I've been thinking about that for a long time. I'm glad somebody wrote it down. That's Ecclesiastes and then Song of Solomon is just, uh, wait till you're married before you read that. But the, the, the thing is, this guy was wise, okay? Do you know what, what killed Solomon's kingdom? The wisest guy ever was worry. He started getting these wives because he didn't believe really, truly, that his heavenly father was going to take care of the kingdom. He thought it was all on him, King Solomon. He had to do it. And so he made these treaties with all these areas surrounding them by marrying the the wives of people and daughters of people high up. So he had all these wives. And it ended up, what what God said was, all these different... uh, women from different cultures. Now, we call that diversity today, and we celebrate it. But, but the point was, is that they brought their gods with them. And so he just starts marrying these different uh, women, and then they bring their gods of that culture, and he begins to lose sight of his heavenly father, and he begins to feel like, I've got to make this happen. And by one generation, his son takes over, and the, and the, the whole uh, kingdom is split, and it's just a nightmare wisest man in the world. What killed him? What got him? Worry. So Jesus goes back 900 years. He talks about Solomon. He's like, even in all his splendor, it wasn't anything like what God cares about for you. He goes on. He says, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Doesn't he care about you? Doesn't he have your back? goes on so do not worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear 
And he uses this word, the pagans run after all these things. These are, this is exactly what Solomon got into a problem. For people who don't believe in God or, or following other gods, that, um, uh, idols and stuff, they run after all that stuff. He says, and your heavenly father knows you need him. Let me tell you how my conversation goes with God sometimes. If I'm super, super honest. I'll do that. I'll, I'll think of something, and you can pick whatever. Maybe the church, you know, the, how the church is going or whatever. I tend to spend time thinking about the church, okay? And so sometimes I get anxi- anxious about it, you know, whether how the finances are or this or that or there's a pipe burst or whatever. And so uh, I would have this conversation with God, like, God, um, I'm really worried about the church, you know, and the, the situation it's in on this thing. And, and God would say, Why? And I'm like, because it's, it's kind of important, <laughs> you know. And plus, I'm doing this for you. No, I don't ever say that. But. And, 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 and he would say, well, I know about that. And, he, and I'm being completely honest. I, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, but I want you to do something about it. If you know about it, change it, right? Have you ever had that conversation with God? Like, I'm glad you know about it. Cool. Could you do something about it? Because here's what the ultimate thing that happens inside of me is. It ultimately comes down to me, like as I'm trying to work, 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 God would say to me, why are you working so hard? And here's, if I'm really honest, I'd say, because I don't trust that you're going to do it the way I want you to do it. (laughs) Did I say that out loud? But that's what it comes down to. I don't trust that he's going to shape the story the way I want it to be shaped. And guess what? I just learned something really important about myself and about my relationship with my Heavenly Father. So what do we do? How do we get out of this worry cycle? Jesus gives us the key. (laughs) The key. You don't just stop worrying. You don't just go, oh, everything will turn out fine. I'll stop working. Okay, right? He says this, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. You say, well, let's pick an example. Uh, The school your son or daughter wants to go to or whatever. You're thinking about your kid's education, okay? And you're like, like, God, I just, we want him to go to Harvard, okay? Or Yale or whatever, and and, and it's not going to work out or what, what have you. Okay, I see, okay, God, how can I invite your kingdom into this situation? Your finances. How do, I, how do I invite your kingdom into here? How do I seek your kingdom? What, what, what can I learn? Are you doing this on purpose for me, for my own good? Is this for my good? I know you love me, but I want to find that goodness in, this, in the midst of this situation. I want to seek first his kingdom. Jesus had this down. And so he could with confidence just say, oh, don't worry about your life what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. You don't need to worry about it. You know what you need to do? You need to, as best to the best of your posi- ability, the way you've been shaped and how you experience God in your relationship, you need to go after it. And you will find that all those other things will begin to go in the rearview mirror. As you begin to look out the front view and you begin to go okay god i want you uh, my job is not what i want i want i want something so much different but i'm here so i want to see your kingdom in my job i want to see your kingdom in my marriage i want to see your kingdom in my life but it has to be number one 
So we don't get over worry by not worrying. We get over worrying by sub- substituting it for seeking first the kingdom of God. Um, what we're going to do right now is we're going to take a little bit of time to actually do that. We're going to take about three minutes and uh, um, as Ajua comes back up and I'm going to take about three minutes of just silence, of just quiet. And I just really encourage you to use that time to take the thing that you worry about most and begin to engage in a conversation with your Heavenly Father. Maybe it looks something like this. God, I, I, I'm worried about my finances. I don't know how we're going to make the rent. And allow God to say, isn't life more than the rent? And you say, I know, but it's just, it's just, it's just, it just weighs on me. You begin to talk to him about, would you just take that from me? Would you just take the anxiety from me? I, I want to do exactly what you said. I want to cast all my cares upon you. I, I want to I cast all my anxiety upon you because I know you care for me. And would you just take that and allow the kingdom of God, that seeking first his kingdom, to begin to change your heart? And so for some of you, it's difficult to be in silence for three minutes. For others, you know, you, you're like, oh, finally, I get three minutes of silence, you know. Uh, but this is, this is one of the things we do at our church uh, off and on, just to be able to stop and slow down. But I'm going to pray for us. We're going to take three minutes of silence, and then um, Ajua will take over from there, and then I'll come up and bless us at the end. Lord God, it is hard to not worry. Uh, it's hard to just place stuff in your hands to be concerned without being consumed and so um, but lord we want to be those people we we want to get through life we want to do the best we can and 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 go through different events out the other side without anxiety because we know it kills us we know it distracts us and so lord i pray as we take our three minutes of silence that we would meet you and uh we would hear your voice and we would have the courage to um to respond Jesus name amen